Well, uh, it's good to be here, even though this is my last Sunday here, I'm still excited to be here. Um, I love coming to join you guys at church here. The only problem is I'm a little bit crook. I uh, went to bed last night with a head cold and woke up and it's no good this morning. So uh, please do bear with me if I'm coughing and spluttering and drinking my water. Uh, Especially if you're new, this is hopefully church, your only church experience isn't just someone at the front coughing and stuff. So please do bear with me. Uh, And please bear with me a little longer because uh, I'm going to tell you some of the dumb decisions I've made this week. We all make dumb decisions from time to time uh, where like we know what the obvious thing we should do is. Uh, It's plain and it's simple and we still choose the dumb thing. So this week, on Monday, uh, there was $2 thick shakes at Macca's. Thick shakes make me very ill when I drink them. Uh, Like, you know, like bad tummy for the rest of the day. But they're so good. And it was so cheap. Uh, And so I got my thick shake and I regretted it for the rest of the day. On Wednesday, I went to the beach uh, and I went with my wife and my son and some friends, and in all the like hustle and bustle of getting out of the house and getting everyone ready and strapping into the car with everything we need, I foolishly did not put on sunscreen, and I burnt badly, and I looked like a tomato. Uh, I hope I don't look too bad now, but it was pretty bad, and I've been regretting it ever since. I have a very sore face and very sore legs. That was a dumb decision. The other night, I stayed up with some friends. We were hanging out, having a good time. But my son hadn't been sleeping well all week. He'd been waking up in the night a couple of times. He doesn't normally do that, which I'm very thankful for. So my wife and I were very tired. So I should have gone to bed, but I didn't. Stayed up with some friends. And by the time I got to bed, he had just woken up again. And he woke up three more times that night. And it was probably the worst night of sleep I had all week dumb decision. Sometimes there's a really obvious choice and we don't make it. Well, today, Israel, the uh, God's people, God's nation in the Bible that we've been reading about in the book of Deuteronomy, they have an obvious choice in front of them, a really, really obvious choice. There's no, there's no confusing the two outcomes. One is life and one is death. It's um, a little worse than a sore tummy or some sunburn. Uh, But Israel are given this choice and God says, make the right decision. Make the right decision. Will they follow God's law in the land or not? The problem is Moses does not have high hopes for this nation. Moses, the ruler of Israel, does not have high hopes for how they will go in the future. He thinks that Israel will make a bad decision and that it will have terrible consequences for them, worse than sunburn. And so today, as we look at Israel's decision, God will confront us with a similar decision, a decision of life or death. And we're going to follow it along under the three headings in your handout. So if you want to scribble down some notes, that's great. We have heart disease, heart cure and choose life. Just be warned, The uh, Bible passage at the top is wrong. It's meant to be Deuteronomy 30. I think that was my mistake, so I'm sorry. So you can cross it out and write Deuteronomy 30. Well, how about I pray quickly before we get into it? 
Father God, please do give us alert minds now and discerning minds. Help us to hear you speak to us through my words, through your word in the Bible. Please transform us tonight. Father, please do sustain me while I speak now with this head cold. Amen. All right. So to jump into chapter 30, we need to understand a little bit where the book has come from. So we're going to rewind a couple of chapters uh, and get a bit of context for chapter 30. And we're going to see that everyone has heart disease, but not normal heart disease. This is a heart disease which stops us from receiving God's blessing. So we're going to start in chapters 27 and 28. In these two chapters, Moses gathers the whole nation of Israel to himself again and he tells them, this is pretty simple, he says, if you obey God and if you keep the covenant, if you keep the contract he's made with you, you will receive amazing blessings. But if you disobey, if you don't keep the contract, if you break it, you will be cursed. The blessing of God that he promises is abundance in their land, abundance in the promised land that they're just about to enter to take. God says, you'll have lots of kids, you'll have lots of crops, and you'll have lots of cattle. Those things kind of balance out. When you have enough kids, you need some food to feed them with. But not only will they have abundance, they'll have security. Any invading nation will be defeated. God will go out before them and keep them safe. So they don't have to worry about any other nations around them. Now these are God's blessings if they keep God's law. If they don't, then God will send curses. These curses uh, come from disobedience and disobedience leads to famine, leads to plague, it leads to destitution, it leads to invasion. All God's curses. Now these curses, they're not designed to... Um, just make Israel wallow in their misery. They're designed as an early warning system. They're like an alarm that goes off. When God starts sending these curses, Israel know they're going the wrong way. Israel know they're disobeying and they need to turn back to God. But there's one final curse which isn't a warning anymore. There's one final curse which God will send if Israel continue to ignore him, if Israel break their covenant with God, God will take their land away from them. He'll take their land away from them and send them into exile with foreign nations. So that's chapters 27 and 28. Blessing and curses. God says, keep our agreement, you'll be blessed. Break our agreement, you'll be cursed. Now in chapter 29, Moses begins his third and final speech in all of Deuteronomy. Uh, he begins by explaining Israel's past, their present and their future. Moses reminds Israel of what God has done, how he rescued them from slavery in Egypt and saved them from Pharaoh, how they wandered in the desert for 40 years and the whole time God provided every need. And then Moses says, Here now you are standing in the place of decision. You are on the edge of the promised land. It is right there. God has made his covenant with you. Go in and enter God's land. That's the present. Then Moses looks to the future and he says, well, things actually start to go downhill here. 
Moses warns them of disobedience, but the warning quickly turns into a prediction of their disobedience. Moses says that Israel's disobedience will lead to a break in the covenant. So God will bring his curses and God will exile them. And you know what? Moses, as he stands, predicts these things, he's absolutely right. As we keep reading the Old Testament, as we keep reading the history of Israel, Israel reject God. They continue to disobey God. They worship other gods. Um, They become just like all the other nations. They don't live with God as their king. God warns them. He sends warning after warning after warning. God is patient. But in the end, they've broken the covenant. And so in 587 BC, God sends the nation of Babylon. They come to Jerusalem. They destroy the city. They destroy God's temple. And they take all the inhabitants and send them back to Babylon. And they're now scattered among the nations. God's people are not in God's land. The question is, how does Moses know? How does Moses know that they won't keep their covenant? How is Moses so confident that they will fail? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. Moses knows that Israel have a problem in their heart, that they have heart disease. Moses knows that they're infected, every single one of them, and that infection stops them from being able to obey. It's a disease that naturally inclines them away from God, not towards him. And Moses has already spoken about it in Deuteronomy. In chapter 10, verse 16, Moses says to Israel, circumcise your hearts and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Moses knows this disease, it, it makes them stubborn to the law so that they won't obey the law it, it prevents them. We talked about in, in our song, the bonds of sin. And that's what it's like. They're bound. They're tied up. They can't escape from disobedience. What's the disease? Well, it's our corrupt nature. It's the corrupt nature inside us that turns us from God. It is the desire deep down in our hearts that we would be in control of our own destiny. You may have heard of it before. Christians call it sin. It means that disobedience is inevitable. Not because God has given them laws too hard to keep. No, God's laws are good. It's because Israel are sick. And so it will lead to their cursing and their exile. Now, sin isn't just a problem for Israel. It's a problem for every single person. Have a look on the screen at what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. He writes, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no one who does good. No one is righteous. Righteous just means being perfectly good. There is no one who's perfectly good. There is no one who is free from sin. Every single person is infected. Now, sin isn't just kind of doing bad things, lying, stealing, murdering, or or whatever you can think of. Sin is that. Those things are sin because God does not want us to do them. But sin is more than that. Sin is the attitude that says, you know what? I don't want you, God. I don't need you, God. 
I'm doing just fine without you, God. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can think of times where we've felt like that. Maybe we haven't explicitly said, God, I don't need you, but we've definitely gone, yeah, I'm doing pretty all right on my own. I can, I can get by by myself. Uh, for you, it, it might not be that often, but for me, I, I think it's almost every moment of every day I'm struggling with this feeling of, I can do it on my own. No, God is the sustainer. No, I, I'm doing pretty well. No, God has done everything for me. When we're honest deep down, I think we all struggle this exact same way. In fact, the Bible tells us we all struggle in this exact same way. And here's the real kick in the guts. Just like Israel were put under curse for their covenant disobedience, we too were put under our, our curse for our sin. We are cursed for our sin. Our curse isn't exile. We're very far from the promised land here, but that's not our curse. Our curse is death. Not, not just physical death, spiritual death. Eternal death. We call it hell. And it's really important to understand this. It's really important to see that we are sinful. That we have turned our back on God. That our destiny is punishment and death. Because if we don't understand this, we will never look for the cure. We will never take our first step to be cured. We call recognising our sin before God. We call that confession. Uh, and you may recognise that because we did it right at the start of the service where we all uh, read those words on the screen together as a prayer, confessing our sin. But doing it once a week on a Sunday afternoon is not enough. We need to do it every single day. We need to constantly do it because we constantly have that attitude of, I can do things myself, I do not need you, God. We must constantly and consistently confess our sin to God. So today, if, if you've never confessed your sin to God, if you've never recognised your sin before God, I encourage you that you need to see this problem. You need to understand that you are infected in your heart. You're bound to sin. And the only way you can be set free is to recognise it. So maybe spend a moment today after the service, quietly to yourself, confessing to God your sin. Now that's, that's all context for chapter 30. That's just by way of introduction, I guess. But don't worry, the rest isn't that long. We know that Israel have a heart problem. It causes them to disobey God and to be exiled from the land. So as we arrive in chapter 30, which is what was read for us before, God does something amazing. God does something absolutely astounding. God gives a new heart so that we can come to him and have life. Uh, if you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30. Uh, we're going to spend some time in there or, you know, crack out your phones and look it up. Deuteronomy 30. Uh, but the, uh, I have some of the words on the screen which should help. There we go. We're going to start in verse 1 and let me read this for you. When all the blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. So during Israel's curse and exile, 
there will come a day where they'll remember, wait a minute, remember how good we had it in, our, in the land? Remember how good God blessed us? How we had abundance and security? They'll remember his law and they'll turn to God and they'll obey him. And even though the covenant is now broken, even though God has no obligation, he doesn't owe them anything at all, God will restore them. God will give them back the blessings that he has taken away from them. Now, this is unheard of in the ancient world, that a nation that's been wiped out and dispersed would come back together again in their homeland and be a nation again. That just doesn't happen. It shows just how powerful and mighty our God is. Come with me and look at verse 5. It'll be on this next slide. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you prosperous and numerous, more numerous than your ancestors. Skip down to verse 7. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. So God is going to give them their land. He's going to give them abundance and he's going to give them security again. That's the same covenant blessings. God doesn't have to give them to his people any longer. The covenant was broken God chooses to do it because he loves Israel, because he loves his people. Even though Israel have rejected him and broken the covenant, God brings them back out of the goodness of his own heart. Now that is a great God, isn't it? A God who is merciful and compassionate and loving. God's goodness doesn't end there though. Israel have that heart disease and it needs to be cured. So look at verse 6 on that same slide. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul and live. God has promised to fix the problem of sin once and for all. Israel will be given a new heart, a circumcised heart, so that they will obey and that they will live. Israel will once again be under God's blessing because they have this new heart. Not because God has to, but out of his loving kindness. And so, sure enough, God does gather his people back. Remember, this is the speech of Moses. He's predicting the future. In the future, Babylon has taken out Israel from their land. But in the year 539 BC, a new nation rises up, Persia, and they conquer Babylon who are the ones who conquered Israel. And the king of Persia makes a decree, and he decrees that all the Jews may return to their homeland. And so from that point, God's people from all over the world start heading back home. This time, though, something was different. They're back in their land. They rebuild their temple to God. The promise seems to be fulfilled, but not all the way. Sure, they're there, but where's the abundance and security? They keep getting conquered by other nations. Israel don't have a new heart. They keep disobeying. They're still sick with sin. God's promises, they're fulfilled, but only in part. Not fully. Not until Jesus turns up. Not until 2,000 years ago, when a little boy is born in the feeding trough of some cows... Well, that's not where he's born, that's where he's laid. And this little boy, he, he grows up, and as he grows up, he relives Israel's history. He uh, flees to Egypt to flee from a king who's trying to kill him. 
and they escape from Egypt. Jesus escapes from Egypt just like Israel. Um, Jesus is sent out into the desert, not for 40 years, but for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, In the desert, he's tempted just like Israel, but he doesn't give in. In fact, Jesus never gives in to temptation. He always perfectly obeys God's law. Even though he perfectly obeys, he still suffers under God's curse. He dies on a cross, which is one of the marks of a covenant curse, to die on a cross or to die on a tree or a pole. Look at these words from Galatians. This is from the New Testament. One of the apostles is writing, reflecting on the curses of Deuteronomy and Jesus' perfect obedience. He writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or or a cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. He sets us free from the curse of the law. Even though we can't live up to God's standards, because we have a heart disease that means that we will never reach those standards, Jesus takes the curse onto himself. He takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes our spiritual death onto himself and he dies in our place. He dies physically but spiritually. He does it so that we can have God's blessing to Israel. He does it so that Gentiles, that is people who aren't Jews, uh, that's me and I imagine that's most of you, might be invited into God's people, that we might become part of God's new covenant people. And we don't get this blessing by anything we do. No, no, the verse has said we get it through faith. We simply trust that Jesus has done it. We have faith that Jesus has obeyed the law in our place. We have faith that Jesus took our curse onto himself. And our blessing isn't just the promised land of Israel. Our blessing is eternal life with God forever in heaven. Jesus suffers death and hell. We gain life and heaven. How good is that? And God, he doesn't stop there. He gives us these new hearts. He finally gives them to us. We receive the new heart when we trust in Jesus. We read earlier Ezekiel 37 where God raises those dry bones. One chapter earlier, God has promised again to Israel to give them a new heart. And finally, in the New Testament, we see these words in 2 Corinthians 5 where it's written, Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Not only has our heart been cleansed and purified and cured of sin, we're given a new heart. We're not just given a new heart, we're a whole new person. The old has gone, it's dead. The new has come and it's alive. And and the verse says, anyone who is in Christ, when we trust in Jesus, we're spiritually united in Christ. In, in an unfathomable but wonderful way, we are now in Christ. We receive the blessing that he deserved for his obedience. When we're in Christ, we're made new. The old person infected with sin is gone. The new person has a new heart, renewed day by day. 
through our union with Christ so that we can now obey. Not perfectly. We don't obey perfectly this side of the grave, but we grow and become more and more like Jesus. God gives us a new heart, a continually renewed heart, so that we can obey him and receive the benefits of eternal blessing. Now, let's uh, go through the last half of Deuteronomy 30, and we're almost there. This last thing I want to say is that we're all given a choice. A choice of blessing on one side and curse on the other. Of life on the one side and death on the other. And Moses and Jesus, and I call you to choose life. Choose life. Don't make a foolish decision. In the second half of uh, chapter 30, in verses 11 to 14... Moses says that the law is not far from Israel. The whole book of Deuteronomy has been Moses giving the law to Israel. They don't have to go anywhere to get it. Moses says, you don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go across the sea. It's here. It's with you. It's in your mouth because you're speaking it to one another. It's in your heart because you need to dwell on it and learn it and know it. It is close. God has given his law. They know how they need to live. Obeying God is isn't out of their reach. It's not impossible. There's nothing that God has, uh, there's no standard so high that no one can jump in. It's that our own heart disease prevents us. The law is there, they know it. All they need to do is obey it. And God gives Israel this choice. In verse 15 to 18, he shows really clearly what the choice is. Uh, He says, Israel, if you obey, you'll have the land, you'll have abundance, you have security. If you disobey, you'll have cursing and exile and death outside of the land. And so in verses 19 to 20, he says this, Now choose life, choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. God says to Israel, Moses says to Israel, choose life. Choose obedience. Obey the law because that is your life. Yes, Moses knows they will fail. Yes, their hearts are infected by sin, but they still have a very real decision to make. They have a choice, life or death, blessing or curse. At that place of decision on the very edge of the promised land where they can see it just over the hills, Moses says, choose life. Choose life in the land God is giving you. Choose abundance and security. Now, today God puts that exact same decision in front of us. We're not standing on the edge of the promised land. No, it's the same decision of life or death. If we trust that Jesus has taken our curse upon himself if we trust that he obeyed the law when we couldn't, then God gives us true life. But if we reject Jesus, if we choose to do it on our own, to trust ourselves, then we will be under God's curse of judgment. We will die. We will die spiritually, eternally. So today, your choice is life or death. Choose life. Choose life today. Just like the law wasn't far from Israel, they had it, they were meant to speak it, they were meant to believe it and know it and love it. The message is not far from us today. 
In Romans 10, Paul picks up the same words as Deuteronomy 30. And have a look at them. They'll come up on the screen. Paul writes, Paul the Apostle says, But what does it, that is faith, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's what Moses said. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Well, what's the message? The message is, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's it. Confess that Jesus is your Lord, your King, your Master. And believe that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus really is alive again today. That's how we choose life. It's not anything we have to do. We don't have to uh, offer anything to God. We don't have to um, do any signs or um, go to any temples or uh, do any rituals. It's just confess that Jesus is Lord, believe that God has raised him from the dead. That's all it is. Jesus has done it all. And so if you're here today and you're still figuring out who Jesus is, if you're here today wondering what all this Christian stuff is about, that's the heart of our message. Trust Jesus, have life. If you've been a Christian for a while, the message to you today is the same. Trust Jesus, have life. It doesn't change. It's always trust Jesus, have life. We need to keep this message, this message here in our hearts and in our mouths. We need to have it constantly banging around in our heads. We need to constantly talk about it to one another because the world sends us all these other messages. The world gives us all these other choices. In fact, the world says that this isn't the choice of life. That's the choice of death. The world says being a Christian, no, that's boring. That's how to waste your life. The world says true life is through a thousand different things. The world can't even get its message straight. Think about Christmas for a moment. Uh, If you were to walk down the street right now and asked 100 people uh, and you said to them, uh, what do you think Christmas is all about? I bet you'd have some kids go, presents and stuff like that. Uh, If you ran into someone from church, they'd probably say it's about Jesus being born. But the vast majority would probably say something like, it's about celebrating our families. And that's really good. That's nice. God has given us families and that's a wonderful thing. The message of the world there is nice. It's not the thing we'd say is the main thing, which is Jesus, but it's quite, it's quite good. It's quite nice. But the very next day, if you turn up to any shopping centre, what's the message it's telling you? It says, no, 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 families are good, but stuff, that's better. So why not spend all your money on the presents you wish you got but didn't? The world can't get its message straight. It says uh, experiencing the world, that's true life. No, no, making a mark for yourself in this world, that's true life. Um, I don't know, family and friends, that's true life. Uh, Becoming an inventor of cars that you shoot into space, that's true life. Uh, And if so, Elon Musk is killing it. But that's not what true life is. All those things lead to death because none of those things acknowledge that God is the sustainer of all life and that Jesus has obeyed the law in our place. So when the world gives us that decision and says choose life, their path leads to death. 
We have to keep choosing Jesus because that is how we choose life. Once we've chosen Jesus, then we can rightly enjoy all those other good things. Then we can rightly enjoy friends and family. And only then can we make a real mark in the world. And only then can we understand our experience of travelling the world and seeing other people. So choose Jesus. That's how you choose life. Trust Jesus. Trust that he died for you. If you would like to, for the first time today, come to trust Jesus... That's a wonderful decision to make. Please do come talk to uh, one of the pastors here or me or someone who brought you along. Or if you have questions, if you want to know more and want to figure these things out, uh, you can fill out one of those welcome cards and ask these questions or uh, there's some contact details for pastors on on the handout you got and you can contact them and let them know. Uh, But please don't pass up this opportunity. Please explore the things of life. Please explore the things of Jesus and God because you'll find that they're the only things in life that can fulfill you. Choose life. Heaven, I pray.